All right, it's great to be here tonight, and I really want to uh, express my appreciation to the elders of this congregation and to uh, Mr. Danny Kaiser out there from Hendersonville, who's really helped to set me up with, with some of these times I can come and speak at different churches. Uh, I'm going to be talking about love tonight, so let's go ahead and jump in, shall we? All right, you know, sometimes it is hard for those who profess to be Christians to behave like Christians should. We try to carry our crosses, but if someone crosses us, we tend to lose our cool and behave much in the same way the rest of the world does. So I want to start out by telling you a little story. It's a story about an actor who was playing Christ in a passion play in the Ozarks. And the story goes that he's carrying a cross up a hill as a tourist comes out and begins heckling him and making fun of him, throwing all kinds of mean insults at him. So the actor drops his cross walks over to the guy and punches his lights out. The director, of course, takes him aside and says, you can't be behaving like this. You're playing the part of Jesus, and Jesus never retaliated. So he gives him another shot, and and the man tells him that he'll do better this time. So the next day, he's carrying his cross up the hill again. The heckler's back and worse, yelling all kinds of insults at him once more. So the actor tries to keep his cool, but drops his cross, goes over, and hits the guy again. So the director tells him, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to fire you. I can't have you behaving like this. You're supposed to be playing Jesus. So the actor begs the director, saying, I need this job. Please give me one more chance. I can handle it. So the director gives him one more chance. So the man goes out the next day, and he's carrying his cross up the hill once more. And the heckler is back, yelling all kinds of mean insults at him. The man's trying to keep his cool. He's clenching his fists and gritting his teeth. And finally, he breaks and just yells at the man, I'll meet you after the resurrection. Now, as bad of a joke and story as that was, it does give a good illustration to literally carrying your cross, dropping it, and retaliating. But the Bible teaches that we are to be people who exercise love in all of our relationships with one another. So listen to these scriptures. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's Romans 12:18. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4:2. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Hebrews 12:14. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5:2. Now all of these scriptures say the same thing. It may be difficult sometimes, but we are to try and live in peace and harmony with everyone. So this evening, I would like to focus a little bit on how to get along with other people. And we'll focus on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible. We're going to focus on the first three verses, which Paul begins by saying, Now I will show you the most excellent way. Now what he's saying is, I want to show you the best way to take care of virtually every situation with love. So he points out that love is more important than five other things that we as Christians do and should consider very important. In verse 1, Paul says that love is more important than spiritual gifts, the first of these five things. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. On the day of Pentecost, when the very first gospel sermon was ever preached, God gave the apostles the special gift of being able to speak in languages that they had never learned. So the people hearing them 
could understand what was being said. But here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying that if God gave him the gift of speaking every human language, and even the heavenly language of the angels, but he didn't have love, then he would be nothing more than a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The gong and cymbal reference an ancient pagan ritual of hitting a gong at the doorway of pagan temples. This supposedly awakened the pagan gods so that they would listen to the people's prayers. Here, Paul is saying that even if he were so blessed that he could speak with the greatest of eloquence in every language, but didn't have love, then his life was as useless as the ridiculous act of pounding on a gong to awaken non-existent gods. So you see, love is more important than spiritual gifts. Then in verse 2, Paul says that love is more important than knowledge, the second of these five things. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul says that even if you know it all, if you know everything there is to know about nuclear science, medicine, philosophy, psychology, theology, and every other kind of ology, if you know it all but have no love, then you are nothing at all. So it amazes me when people look at society and try to analyze what is wrong with us. These so-called experts always seem to come back with the same answer. We need more education. We need to get everybody educated, and then we won't have these problems anymore. But I don't think education is the answer, and no, Mom and Dad, that's not just because I'd rather sleep instead of get up to go to school. I doubt any of us are opposed to education. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I don't think we are in need of more knowledge near as much as we are in need of more love. We need a whole lot more love, and the hearts of people need to change before society will ever change. Thirdly, Paul says that love is more important than faith. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Now, he doesn't say that faith is not important. He just says that love is more important than faith. He said, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Faith is so important that it is impossible to please God without it. And I'm sure all of us in here tonight have faith. But what is our faith put in? Do you believe that God is the creator of the world? Because that's the basis of our faith, which makes that a pretty simple question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son, that he came into our world, lived a sinless life, he died, was buried, and on the third day rose again? How about believing that he is now at the right hand of of our Father, preparing a place for us, because one day he will come again? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is our guide and counselor and comforter? If you believe all these things, great job, but the Bible teaches that even if you do believe all the right stuff, but you don't have love, then you are nothing, because even faith is of no value unless it is backed up by love. Think about this. The priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan had plenty of faith. What they lacked was love, and because they lacked that, they walk right past the man and leave him there to die. In Galatians 5.6, Paul says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Fourthly, love is more important than generosity. Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor, but have not love, I gain nothing. He says, if I give everything, if I empty my checking account, give all my retirement funds, sell my houses and my cars, and sit on the corner with nothing left but what I'm wearing, and I've given it all away to help the poor, but have not love... I'm nothing at all. So you see, generosity is not enough. 
But when you give, why do you give? Do you give because the preacher just preached a sermon on giving? Is it because you feel guilty if you don't? Or because you want to impress others sitting around you? Or because you're afraid that God will get you if you don't? Or do you give because you think you'll receive more than you give? You see, all of these are the wrong reasons to give. If the only reason that I give is to get, then love is absent and giving is empty. The motive for giving should be love. Love for God and love for God's people. Then he says that love is more important than accomplishments. He says, if I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. He's talking about martyrdom. He's talking about being so faithful and so committed to God that you end up dying because of your faith. But Paul is saying that even if you go to church, every time the church doors are open, if you read your Bible faithfully, if you pray all the time, if you do everything a Christian ought to do but have not love, then it's nothing in God's sight. Obviously, love is very important. Much more, maybe, than we ever realized. Listen to what Jesus says in John thirteen thirty four: A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now notice that Jesus says this is a commandment and not a suggestion. And God never commands us to do anything that we cannot do. We tend to think that love is something that just happens to us because that is what the world teaches. You fall in love like you fall into a ditch and you fall out of love like you fall out of a tree. You can't help it. It's just something that happens. Think of some popular songs that have been written over the years. Someone sings, I can't help falling in love with you. Or someone else sings, you lost that loving feeling. Someone else sings, hello, I love you, please tell me your name. These are all really deep names for songs, by the way. But the Bible teaches that love is something we can control. God commands us to love each other. That means I can decide to love you, and you can in turn decide to love me. Now, what kind of love is being talked about here? In Philippians 2.4, Paul says that he wants us to behave as Jesus Christ behaved. In other words, to love in the same way Jesus loved. So here's the way Jesus loved. He said, each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, love becomes unselfish. You begin to think about other people and their interests, just like you think about yourself and your interests. You become unselfish. Now I want to apply that into several different areas. First of all, let's see how that would work in the family. Let's suppose that someone in every family represented here this evening decided, I'm going to go home and put this into practice. Start with your spouse. You ought to love your husband or your wife first and most. You ought to be kinder, tenderer, and gentler to them, even if they're behaving like a jerk. Begin first in your marriage relationship. Now, I know I'm young, and many of you may be thinking, what does this kid know about marriage? But wait and think about it. Can you see how that would affect the atmosphere of the home? There wouldn't be as much arguing, bickering, or sharp words between each other. Just because their interests are just as important as yours. Pretty soon it filters down to the relationship you share with your children and affects the way we then view our relationship with our siblings and everybody else in the family just because you love them. If we allow it to begin in our family, then it will spill over into our outside lives. In fact, Jesus said, By this they shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's the way the world will find out about the message of Jesus Christ. 
And if we're really going to love each other the way Jesus loved us, then we have to develop in our own lives the same kind of compassion that Jesus had. When I watch movies sometimes, I can get totally caught up in what's going on, especially on the big screen. Sometimes I find myself smiling, angry, or laughing. Can you remember getting caught up in something and so identifying with what's going on that you actually become a part of the story? Well, that's compassion. And it will cause us to ask ourselves some tough questions. What's it like to hurt deep inside when no one knows you're hurting, but you don't feel free to tell anyone that you're hurting? What's it like to be sick, but knowing that you're not going to get well and wanting more than anything just to stay alive? What's it like to be handicapped? What's it like to be dealing with marital problems or domestic problems? What kind of burdens are people carrying, and do we care enough to help them bear those burdens? Because that's what Jesus asks of us, and that's what it means when he talks about loving one another as he has loved us. Finally, we are to let that love flow into our worldly lives. We do it when we show those people who sit beside us in school or work that Jesus Christ is our Lord, not just with words, but by the example we set. You may have a hard boss or a teacher that you don't like very much, or you may work with someone who completely annoys you and just ticks you off at the sight of them. Guess what Jesus said about that? Love them like crazy. Pray for the people that make fun of you or cast you out. Paul writes in Romans 12, 20 through 21, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I can't emphasize that enough. Because that's the call of Christians in this world. Don't let it overwhelm you, but overwhelm it. Through God, we have that ability, even when it seems possible. There's a story I want to share with you now about a man named Doug Nichols. Because I think it illustrates exactly what I've been trying to say tonight. Doug Nichols went to India to be a missionary. But while he was just starting to study the language they had there, he became infected with tuberculosis and had to be put into a sanitarium. It wasn't a very good place to be. It wasn't very clean, and conditions were hard because there were so many sick people there. But Nichols decided to do the best he could in that situation. So he took a bunch of Christian books and tried to witness to the other patients in the sanitarium. He tried to hand out the books, but no one would take them. No one wanted them. He tried to witness, but he was handicapped because of his inability to communicate in their language. So he became discouraged. Here he was. Because of his illness, he would be there a long time. But it seemed like the work that he had been sent to do would not be done because no one would listen to him. Because of of his tuberculosis, every night at about 2 o'clock, he would wake up with chronic coughing that wouldn't quit. Then one night when he awoke, he noticed across the aisle an old man that was trying to get out of bed. He said the man would roll himself up into a ball and teeter back and forth trying to get up the momentum to get up and stand on his feet. But he just couldn't do it. He was too weak. Finally, after several attempts, the old man laid back and wept. The next morning, Doug understood why the man was weeping. He was trying to get up to go to the bathroom and didn't have enough strength to do that. So his bed was a mess and there was a foul smell in the air. The other patients made fun of the old man. The nurses came to clean up his bed and they weren't kind to him either. In fact, Nichols said that one of them even slapped the old man. The old man just laid there and cried. Nichols said, That next night at about 2 o'clock, I started coughing again. I looked across the way, and there was the old man trying to get out of bed once more. I really didn't want to, but somehow I managed to get up, 
walk across the aisle and help the old man stand up. But he was too weak to walk. So Nichols said, I took him in my arms and carried him like a baby. He was so light that it wasn't a difficult task. I took him into the bathroom, which was nothing more than a dirty hole in the floor, and I stood behind him and cradled him in my arms as he took care of himself. I carried him back to his bed and laid him down. As I turned to leave, he reached up and grabbed my face and pulled me close and kissed me on the cheek and said what I think was thank you. Nichols said the next morning there were patients waiting when he awoke, and they asked if they could read some of the books and tracts that he had brought. Others had questions about the God he worshipped and his only begotten son who came into the world to die for their sins. Doug Nichols says that in the next few weeks, he gave out all of the books that he had brought, and many of the doctors and nurses and patients in that sanitarium came to know Jesus as their God. He said, now what did I do? I didn't preach a sermon. I couldn't even communicate in their language. I didn't have some great lesson to teach them. I didn't have wonderful things to offer them. The only thing I did was help an old man get to the bathroom, and anyone can do that. Someone has said, they will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. There is a more excellent way, and that is the way of Jesus Christ. It's the way of love. So this evening, if you are here and outside of Jesus Christ, and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, we extend his invitation to you. We pray that you will respond as we stand and as we sing.